Hello, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined, as always, for our weekly Zeiss is Right video by Paul Zeiss, sports columnist at the Post-Gazette. Uh, Paul, how are you feeling today? I'm all right. I've had a lot of goofy things happen in the last hour, so uh, my mind is uh, I'm trying to get focused here. But other than that, I'm okay. And that includes banging my head off of a speaker. That was... Uh, too low, and uh, now it feels like I have a freaking concussion. But go ahead. Well, we'll try to get you focused on something <laughs> else. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a different kind of headache. We're gonna talk about the Steelers roster um, and and who's responsible for that. We've talked a lot. You and I, Paul, have done about five videos where we talk a lot about Mike Tomlin and his level of responsibility for where the Steelers are. Um, so if you haven't watched those and you're angry at Mike Tomlin, go find one of them. Today's video is going to be about. Omar Khan, Kevin Colbert, the roster that those two guys have put together over the last handful of years, the ways that they've drafted, and how responsible they are for the situation that the Steelers find themselves in. Um, before we do that, just want to thank our primary sponsor for this episode and every episode of the Paul's Ice Show here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel, Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget, give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Um, Paul, I'm, I'm just going to get right into you know the tease right there at the top. Um, what, how responsible do you look at, at Omar Khan and Kevin Colbert for this roster construction? And let's, I'll, I'll couch it by saying. Mike Tomlin's involved in a lot of these personnel decisions as well. So it's not just them who are responsible for this roster, but they make the final decisions, you know, very often on, on who's drafted, who's signed and, and the way this roster stacks up and, and um, you know, the roster's not very good. And, and that so doesn't some of that blame have to land on them. Well, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of blood on a lot of hands here, uh, be it con, be it, uh, Kevin Colbert, be it Tomlin. I mean, Tomlin, you know, has a lot of say in who, who gets brought in and who doesn't get brought in. One of my thing, one of my biggest issues with the Steelers, especially recently, um, over the last, say, eight to ten years, it seems like the more that Tomlin has influenced the draft, the worse it's gotten. Um, they have gotten some good players, but, you know, the one thing I see that developed is that Mike Tomlin, you can see his fingers all over the draft when you see a certain kind of player that he likes. Um, he's a guy that likes, you know, what he calls run and hit guys, right? Guys that can really run, guys that are athletic, they're rangy, their length, all that other stuff. It's almost like he doesn't even care what their film says and whether or not they can actually play football. You know, he would rather have guys who are, uh, you know, guys that he believes have a lot of potential and athleticism that he can coach up or that his coaching staff can coach up. And to me, that's been a big part of the problem. Look at the guys that they missed on. They've almost all fit in that category. And I would include a guy like George Pickens, who there were some real questions about whether or not he was mature enough, whether or not he was a guy that is uh, going to be able to make that athleticism and talent and everything else turn into uh, you know, a really good player. Uh, but ultimately, it's on the scouts. It's on Omar Khan. It's on you know uh, uh, Kevin Colbert because – they're the ones that, you know, they've also come out and they've identified a lot of these players. They've liked a lot of these players. I'm sure there's been um, conflicts here and there about a certain guys. But, 
you know, everybody was all in on uh, bringing the players that they brought in over the last three or four drafts. And, you know, I actually think this year's draft was pretty good. I mean, Joey Porter's been pretty good. I think Broderick Jones is going to be pretty good. I'm not sure what they'll get out of Darnell Washington. But he looks like he'll be a functional player. Um, you know, the Herbert kid or, uh, you know, I don't know that he's going to be a star, but I think he'll be a serviceable NFL player for a lot of years. Uh, they brought, you know, they, this year's draft, they were able to do that. To me, uh, Adam, I take a look at this offseason and say, did we severely, severely overrate what Omar Khan and company did in the free agent market, right? When we can all sit here and argue about the draft and say, well, the draft, they've had some misses, they've had some hits, it's a little bit of a crapshoot, but look at the guys that they brought in. Now, that being said, you know, it's not their fault that K1 Alexander and, and Holcomb got injured. It's not their fault, okay? Let, uh, let's go there, and if those two guys are healthy, we're not in the situation that we're in, but um, you you look at Elandon Roberts and whoever he's next to, and it's clearly not good enough. I mean, not even close to being good enough. Whoever is next to him is a guy that's been exploited the last two or three weeks. Um, you look at their safety depth, not very good. Patrick Peterson, as we said, I mean, they're talking about moving him to safety now because he's clearly lost a step. Not very good. Allen Robinson, remember, he was the big addition to the receiver room. Not very good. Not very productive. Siamalo, I think, has actually been reasonably good. I know he got a bad rap because early on he didn't, didn't play very good. Uh, but I think he's played reasonably well recently. How about did they go out and make their center position better this year? And clearly that's a big, big part of the problem. Um, so to me, and then, you know, of course, the elephant in the room, you use two first-round picks on Najee Harris and Kenny Pickett. <laughs> I mean, did you get the most out of those picks? Who wanted those two guys? You know, and I think it's pretty clear that everybody in the organization wanted those two guys. So there's a lot of blood on a lot of hands. But to your point, Adam, I don't know that this roster was constructed in a way that we should have expected anything different than what we're seeing. Yeah, and I, I want to go through the last three drafts, Paul, before this year's. I think you and I agree that there's, you know, a lot of impact already, that there's a lot of potential impact in the years to come, um, that they did a pretty, pretty decent job. But if you look back at the, at the track record, Paul, on, on some of these other drafts for the last three years, and, and this is where you're supposed to get the core of your team, um, the 2022 draft, it was only you know, a year and a half ago, but you look at it, it has Pickett at the top. It has Pickens as, as the second-round pick. Then you have DeMarvin Leal, Calvin Austin, Connor Hayward, Mark Robinson. You know, is it too early to declare that draft a bust? And, and that like, you didn't get any clear hits. I think you got maybe a decent quarterback in Kenny Pickett, maybe a decent receiver in George Pickens, who has some star potential if he can ever get his head screwed on straight. But that's it. I mean, that's best-case scenarios. Kenny Pickett turns out to be a decent quarterback, I think, and, and George Pickens lives up to his potential. And, and maybe you get two picks right out of that draft. And you and you you know you could say Connor Hayward has been a decent special teams kind of guy and but I mean he's just this sort of a guy. Mark Robinson has been a disaster. You know I remember there were people that were trying to tell us last year, Adam, wait till you see this guy. Well, we've seen this guy. We don't like it. So at the end of the day, uh, you're right. That's a bad draft. All right, let's go back through 2021. And, wait, and it becomes a disastrous draft. If Pickens can't turn it around and Pickett can't turn it around, then it becomes a total disaster. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, if you look at the results they've gotten so far, I think it's already a, a disaster draft. I'm not willing to give up completely on Pickett and Pickens yet, and, and maybe they could salvage it. But but some of the, I mean, DeMarvin Leal was drafted in the third round, Paul. And, and I feel like he never gets talked about as, you know, a, a big bust. But he, I think he's – I did our PFF grades post. He plays less than 10 snaps over the last five games. I mean, he's a non-entity, you know, in this offense. Um, you know, maybe Mark Robinson can figure it out someday. Uh, you know, once he's played at the position a little bit longer, but right now he's a non-contributor. Um, and and I don't know what Calvin Austin's doing. I, I mean, I don't know what his his role is. He's he's also getting almost no snaps and, and appears to have no faith from the coaching staff in a receiving core that's not very good. So um, I think it's already at bust status, and, and there's only a couple things that can really salvage it. 2021, Paul, you get Fryermuth, um, and then you get Najee Harris as, as – contributors but you know I don't think either one of them has kind of lived up to what expectations were for them especially in the last couple of years and then the next biggest contributor after those two is Dan Moore Jr. who is a punching bag for a lot of people and, and you got almost nothing out of that draft and they had a bunch of picks in that draft um I mean that's that's a pretty bleak outcome too isn't it what do you think of Fryermuth? Uh, I, I think he, he'd probably be, probably be better in a in a different offense. I think he's been he's been like a lot of these people. I think he's been dogged by the offense, but I don't know that he was ever going to be like Travis Kelsey or anything either. Do you? Well, I, I I would say I mean I agree with you that they're using him probably the wrong way, but I thought he was going to be a lot better than he is. And that's not to say that he's not a productive player, but I thought he was going to be much more of a weapon than he actually is. And because of what they want their tight ends to do, he was really not a very good pick for them because he doesn't do some of the things that they want their tight ends to do or they need their tight ends to do. So, I mean, I think he's a good, I think he has, I think you're right. He, he would have a chance to be a good player if he was used differently. To me, I just, I, I, I don't, under, they, 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 there's too many guys like him that, that they picked without thinking about how they actually really fit into what they want. You know, and, and and I don't think that's a good way to go about doing things. Well, I don't think if you could just go back to that game that they won in Cincinnati, the last one that they had, the first game after Matt Canada was fired, they found him what nine times in the middle of the field. So you're right, Paul. Did he did he ever fit in Matt Canada's offense? Was he a player that, that his skill set matched with what what Matt Canada wanted to do? No, the answer is no. And there's a lot of guys. And you know, here's the thing I'm going to tell you, and this is why I know there's a lot of people that say. Well, why, you know, why do you think you should give Kenny Pickett next year? Um, I don't think that Kenny Pickett has played great, but I think there's a lot of guys on that offense that have actually just sort of been held back by that offense. And so I would like to personally see a new, younger, you know, uh, more of an offensive, uh, forward-thinking offensive kind of guy become the offensive coordinator, and then they go out and hire one of these younger quarterback whisperer guys to work with Kenny Pickett for a full offseason. I would like to see what that looked like, especially when then you add to it an offense that makes sense in the NFL, which I don't know that theirs does. So it's I, I'm, it's hard for me 100% to say it's all been Kenny Pickett. He hasn't been good enough. Because I think there's guys, there's other examples of guys, and and, and Fryermuth is another one where I kind of feel like maybe the offense is holding them back. Yeah, it's like did did he, did Matt Canada ever want to go in the middle of the field? So I, you know, I I agree with you. I think I'm just going to give them Pat Fryermuth as a hit in that draft. I'll give them Najee Harris as like a C pick. 
you know, I don't like it as the first round pick, but he is your starting running back has been, and has been decent. Um, so I'll give you those two as, as hits, but that's it from that whole draft, those two guys. Um, and so what we've got over the last two drafts, we're talking about those two Pickett, Pickens. None of them are perfect players. None of them are, are you know, I think at, at the height of their potential. So that's four guys out of two drafts. Now let's go back one more to 2020. It was Alex Highsmith, Chase Claypool, and the rest of them were unquestionable busts. Uh, Claypool obviously is kind of in that Pickens category of, you know, could have been de- decent, but had some things going on upstairs. Um, ends up getting traded. You end up getting Joey Porter Jr. So uh, I don't know if you want to give them credit for that. But again, Alex Highsmith, the last man standing of any relevance from the 2020 draft, which was only three years ago. Right. And if you remember, this just goes to show you how funny these things work out. There was all of this, like uh, all these arguments about how uh, the Steelers should take J.K. Dobbins instead of Chase Claypool. And Dobbins obviously went to the Ravens two, two, uh, two or three picks later, right? And everybody, oh, boy. And then Chase Claypool had really his best games of his career were like in his first three games, right? And all of the Steeler apologists were like, oh, you really want Dobbins now? You look five years down the road or whatever it is now, four years down the road, whatever. I mean, both of these guys have been really – you know, for different reasons, but both of them have been basically non-factors. So you just kind of never know how it's going to turn out. But when you look at that draft, you got one player out of that draft, essentially. Alex Highsmith. That's it. Yeah. And I like the, the accumulation, Paul, of, of one, two, three drafts in a row like that. I mean, I, I was listening to that Ben Roth, those Ben Roethlisberger comments about how there's no, like, you know, true Steeler leaders on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and that maybe there aren't enough on the defensive side of the ball. And, and so then the question becomes, why is that? Is it because, you know, the guys in the room are, are messed up? Or is it because you're not – the guys that they're drafting and bringing into the system and, and supposed to – this is supposed to be their first professional experience. Those are the guys that are supposed to be the heart and soul of the team, right? Or your drafted guys who come here and stay here. And they just don't have many of those guys in that locker room because they've missed on so many lately. Right. That's the problem. And that's the big – you know, that's one of the biggest problems that the Steelers have is they don't have guys. They haven't had that for, for almost 30 years. It seemed like they had a, a degree of like, a you know, overlap and attachment, you know, to glory years. Right. Even in the 80s. OK. When, you know, when when the uh, Super Steelers started to retire, you know, they had at least a few guys like Damani Dawson and a few of those kind of guys. Right. That sort of carried over. And then all of a sudden they had a new generation of players that you know, figured out how to win. And then, you know, in, in, in the late nineties, they came up with like Heath Miller and Alan Fanica and those kind of guys. They haven't been able to do that the last few years. They haven't been able to do that. And the worst part about it is none of the veterans on this team really know much about how to, how to lead you to wins and how to lead you through the playoffs and how to do all those kinds of things. Cause most of these guys have never experienced that. And so I don't, you know, when people say, well, did Mike Tomlin lose the locker room? Did he ever really have this locker room? That's a bigger question. And, and, and the other part of it is, I mean, who on this team, based on what they've done over the last three or four years in the draft and the free agency, who on this team do you point to and say, okay, that's the guy that's going to be, you know, be the leader. Though That guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, they're going to be the ones that are going to show them the way. They really have it. They don't have that guy. I mean, Cam Hayward is what he is. I think he's a great leader. He's obviously a great community guy. 
but he's but he's been a part of one playoff win. You know, T.J. Watt is a great player, maybe one of the best players in the NFL. You can tell he's not that guy that's going to be a leader. He's not going to be that guy. That's not his personality. He plays football and goes home. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, who do you who do you look to? If you're one of these younger, if you're George Pickens, who are you looking to in that locker room and say, listen, man, I'm struggling. You know, I'm, I'm making bad decisions, this and that, and your thing. Lead, lead, lead me out of this. Who do you turn to? I don't know that there is that guy in that room anymore. Yeah, and part of Ben's comment was that that there's a lot of you know veteran guys from other organizations that don't necessarily take that on, and and that's that's why you see them signing so many people in free agency, Paul, because you've missed in so many of these places, and we have to talk about all these positions where you have needs. So then you got to spend money to make up for the mistakes you've made in the draft, and I think that shows up culturally as well. Um, and, and so you know, for all that, you're right. For as much as we talk about Mike Tomlin in the locker room. The locker room's built by other people as well, including Omar Khan and, and Kevin Colbert. And so I think, you know, I think it should be a, a, a stain on, on Kevin Colbert's, you know, legacy that, um, you know, that this this is kind of what he left behind, right? Was was a, a roster that just didn't quite have those guys that he had been involved with with bringing here over all those years. Um, Paul, just quickly before I move on to some pirates and other topics, uh, what's your read on on the George Pickens situation? his comments Tuesday that got a lot of people upset. Uh, you know, and we should, we should uh, make it clear that we're taping this before Mike Tomlin talked on Wednesday, which that in and of itself, Adam, when was the last time Mike Tomlin talked twice in a week? When was the last time he talked twice in a week? I can't remember. Okay. But allegedly, and again, uh, you know, we, as we sit here, it hasn't happened yet, but allegedly he's going to meet with the media on Wednesday afternoon. Um, after already having his press conference this week, uh, I can tell you as someone who's dealt with Mike Tomlin in the past, uh, as someone who obviously deals with a lot of people who deal with Mike Tomlin, he does, he does not, he'd rather do a colonoscopy than have a media session. So the fact that he's at least the, the, the talk is that he's having one tells you that this Pickens thing probably is going to be front and center in part of that discussion, along with the, probably the quarterback situation as well. But uh, when it comes to Pickens, I mean, Adam, the, the guy had questions about him coming out of college. How many times do Steelers have to learn this? And I'm not saying that you don't take a shot at certain guys here and there, right? But how many times do you've got to take guys that if there's questions about their character or about, in his case, it wasn't his character, it was his maturity. Uh, it, it, it was his maturity. It was his ability to be coached. It was his coachability. It was his, you know. Uh, some of the things that he had done and said over the course of time uh, at Georgia that made people say, "What? wait a minute, Does this guy really, really love football. Is he really dialed in? Um, so you got a very immature player. And you've also got an Adam, I hate to sound like the old crotchety man, but you've got a basically a modern day player, right? He's all about him and his stats and his, 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 his you know, at the, at the end of the, 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 the line, when they're talking about my stats, they're also talking about the big bag that their stats is going to bring them. And that's really what his focus has been so almost since day one. And you can tell that by the things he says and the things he does. Now, I'm not sure about the whole thing where he said, well, uh, uh, I didn't talk to Mike Tomlin or whatever. And Tomlin said they talked. But, you know, Chris Carter kind of clarified it and said, well, I think he meant this week, not last week, whatever. To me, George Pickens just needs to kind of grow up. He's very immature. 
And, 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 and when you see a player like that, that's immature, um, they have two ways they can go. They can grow up. The light goes on, they grow up and they get it. Or they flame out. And the difference between him and Antonio Brown, for instance, when Antonio Brown started acting like a nut and got himself out of here, he had put on tape and everything else and established that he's probably the best receiver in football, if not in NFL history, over a six- or seven-year period. So he was going to get multiple, multiple, multiple chances to do his thing. This Pickens hasn't done a thing in the NFL that's, you know, he'll get another shot, obviously, maybe two, maybe two. But at the end of the day, if he's not careful, if he doesn't figure it out, he could be a guy that two years from now, you know, he's in the XFL or whatever the hell it's called nowadays. Or he's in the Chase Claypool, you know, barely hanging on to a roster situation. Um, Paul, I want to get into Andrew McCutcheon coming back to the Pirates and all of the moves that they've been making lately. Before we do, just want to thank a couple more sponsors. Goldberg, Persky, and White. If you were diagnosed with mesothelioma or lung cancer, call your local attorneys at Goldberg, Persky, and White. For over 40 years, their firm has represented thousands of lung cancer and mesothelioma victims. Call 1-800-COMPLEX or visit gpwlaw.com for a free consultation. Also want to thank Propel Schools. Propel's 13 public charter schools in Allegheny County build a solid academic foundation for lifelong learning and offer more personalized instruction at every level during your child's kindergarten through 12th grade education journey. Give your children the quality education they deserve. Learn more and apply to Propel Schools by visiting propelschools.org. Um, Paul Andrew McCutcheon's back. I think some people are wondering, does he have enough in the tank to, to contribute to a team that should be trying to win? I don't know if they're going to win this year, but they should be making the turn toward trying. No more excuses. Um, does he have a place on a team like that at, at his age, um, given that you know he did hit a little but has, I think, pretty serious def def defensive def deficiencies? Um, and you know he, he also has injury history that, that's bubbling to the surface. Uh, I, like the, I, don't, I don't mind the move, Adam. I mean, I think that you can use him as a DH. He can still hit, right? It might be a case of where, you know, and I got to look at his splits. You obviously look at the numbers a lot more than me, but maybe he only plays against lefties as a DH or, you know, whatever. I mean, I'd have to look at his numbers and whatnot, but I don't think he, if he's the guy that's playing 130 or 140 games for you, probably not a good thing, right? But if he plays 100 games for you, you know, maybe gives you 10 games in, in you know, left field or right field or whatever, just kind of gives you a couple of, innings here and there in the outfield to, you know, to get some guys a break or whatever. And, you know, plays mostly at DH. I could live with that. Cause I do think he could still hit it a little bit. I do think he's got enough pop left in his bat and, and he can still hit it enough that he can be a useful player. But I, I agree with you. If they're serious about contending, I don't know that he can be a focal or, you know, a, a, a regular uh, sort of core player. You know, they've got to do a little bit better. I mean, for instance, like, I mean, if you if you really want to get down to it, you know, now if you look at their, uh, their platoon at first base, I mean, there's probably got to be some days when you're playing, uh, what's his name, Rowdy or Howdy or Towdy or whatever his name is, Telez. It's Rowdy. Rowdy, it's Rowdy. Telez, you're playing him, which means there's a righty on the mound, right? I don't know. There probably are going to be some days where you'd rather have Connor Joe as your DH than Andrew McCutcheon, you know, depending on the matchup. 
And you have to be willing to, you know, as long as he's willing to understand that he's no longer the star of the team. And I think he does. And I think, you know, he can be a good clubhouse guy and he can be a veteran that sort of, you know, helps some of the younger guys. I think there's enough there that bringing him back, I, I'm actually okay with it. I think, you know, if you look at the moves they make, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, I'm actually kind of okay with their plan so far. Now, you know, this whole thing about there's a big name pitcher or whatever on the way, I have to see it before I believe it. But if they add one more pitcher to this rotation, that's reasonably good. And when I say reasonably good, I mean, just like my man, they just signed from the Rangers, right? And they can get a guy like, say, Paul Skeens to come along and then come up in June and be, a, you know, an important part of their rotation. I actually think that they might be a pretty decent baseball team next year. You know, they probably still need an answer in right field definitively. They probably still need an answer at second base, but they've got a lot of options definitively. And then, of course, the elephant in the room is what about catching? And, you know, you've got Henry Davis. I get it. I heard the interview with Jason Mack and Ben Charrington. It sounds like they're going to try and go out and get a catcher, you know. And to me, as much as I hate to say this, they could have had Austin Hedges for what three and a half or four million or whatever he signed with Cleveland, and I'm listen. I know what it is, but you know if you have him for 60, 60 games or something as your defensive catcher on Sundays and a couple other days, and then you hope that Henry Davis comes along. I mean, you've got to do something. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do at, at catcher and how Henry Davis comes along. I just I just love, Paul, how they were at the winter meetings talking about, we think Henry Davis is ready defensively. <laughs> he wasn't ready, you know, all season while Austin Hedges was hitting 130. But, you know, now that now that Endy's hurt, out of nowhere, he's suddenly ready to do well, it. Uh, yeah, that goes without saying. But here's the thing. What do you do with Henry Davis? I mean, we, we listen, you talk about – perhaps all-time busts. He was the first overall pick in the draft, and they have no idea what to do with him. But I mean, that's that's part of why I'm so critical of this front office, Paul, is that, and I've, I've gone through this with Jason, where it just does not seem to be a plan, and I think they've ended up at the right place for the year ahead. I think you got to see whether he can catch. I think you got to see how that goes over a full season, or at least over a month or two to start the season, and if it's as much of a disaster as it was in right field, then you got to figure something else out, but I just don't know how you can have a guy go through the whole system as a one-one pick, and and we're at this point where we don't know what he is, and and, and that, how can you claim to be the development wizards they all claim to be when that's, you know, I think he's the number one example. Paul Skeens is going to be on that list eventually, but you know, over the five years of the Charrington regime, Henry Davis is the one that we hold up and say that was supposed to be the cornerstone, and and I don't think we see that with him. I think he he still could be a pretty decent hitter, but. Um, if he doesn't have a defensive home, what level are you ever going to get one, one impact out of him? I mean, no, uh, that's the problem. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, he can't play right. It sounds like he can't play first. And even if he could, you know, I guess you could move on from Connor Joe or put Connor Joe in right and use Henry Davis as part of your platoon at first, but I don't think you're going to do that. Uh, if he can't catch and then he doesn't hit. It could be a total disaster with Henry Davis. He could be talking. We could we could be talking about him like we could, be, you know, some of those Steeler drafts. 
Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I, I still have hope in his bat. I think you know that you, you can figure it out, especially now that you have the DH that you didn't have before in the National League. Um, but I also, you know, the DH isn't going to fix everything, Paul. It, it, you know, we talk about oh, you got to we're going to stick McCutcheon in there. We're going to stick this. Per- There's only <laughs> so many people that can play DH too. So if if that's your solution to Henry Davids, it's not your solution if you know O'Neill Cruz can't play shortstop. If if you know so and so Alston. You got to start getting these guys to turn out defensively, or you're going to have a problem at DH because there's only one spot for all these people that that might have deficiencies. Um, Paul, I wanted to get your reaction real quick to the hiring of Tom Allen by Penn State as defensive coordinator, uh, former Indiana coach. Um, he's he's kind of right in that Manny Diaz uh, mold of a recently fired coach, has a decent track record, but he's also never. I think Diaz had produced some really nationally relevant defenses. I don't know that we've ever seen that with Tom Allen. Do you think he's ready for prime time here? Um, I do. I think uh, he's a really good coach, and I think that he'll figure it out. And I think the other thing is, and I don't know where his track record completely goes to, but I don't know that he's worked with as many players as he's going to have at Penn State. I mean, they've recruited on a, on both sides of the ball, really, but on the defensive side of the ball, um, it's going to be amazing how his schemes look so much better when they've got – Four, four and five star guys and legitimate players, you know, all across the board. I mean, that that's the one thing about Manny Diaz. Okay, we're going to see uh, just how much of a, a defensive genius he is this year uh, when his defense is going to be loaded with two and three star guys that couldn't get, you know, offers, bigger offers to the SEC or the Big Ten, which is what he's going to have at Duke. It's, it's always amazing to me um, when you give guys, uh, you know, top level, top end talent how all of a sudden they go from here to here. So I think Tom Allen, I think he, I loved him in Indiana. I loved the way that he made that team relevant for a couple of years. I mean, obviously, Indiana is the kind of place where you, you go there, you have a little bit of success, and then you got to get the hell out of there because it's hard to win on the long term. And most of the time, guys get fired, right? That's what happens. It's To me, once he had those two big seasons right there, Right. He, his name was mentioned elsewhere. He needed to go. I mean, uh, you know, the other guy I always say about it about is Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State. And he was the hottest name. Right. And now he's just sort of a guy because Iowa State, you know, and, and the thing about it is there's something to be said about the fact and they were seven and five at Iowa State this year. You know, something to be said at them at a place where they're throwing, you know, they're throwing parades when you win seven or eight games. So the pressure's a lot less. You go to a bowl game. He's gone to a bowl game six out of seven years. But Matt Campbell had a chance to really cash in and, you know, go out and, and get a bigger job. And now he probably won't be able to do that unless he has a couple of fluke years at Iowa State. It's the same thing with Allen. He needed to get out of there. I think Allen, I, I, think, I think Allen, you know, the one thing that he will do at Penn State, they will have a very, very structured defense that's organized, that's disciplined, that really makes it very difficult on teams to drive the field against them. That's the way his defenses are. So I, I think I think it's a good – listen, I think James Franklin, if you're a Penn State fan, you cannot hate or even dislike what he's done this offseason with his coaching staff. Because I think, you know, he got a really good offensive coordinator and a really good defensive coordinator. Now, whether he lets them coach or not is different. But I think he went out and really, really did a fantastic job of hiring. Paul, I'm going to get you out of here on this. The Riverhounds were trolling the MLS this week because uh, they beat two teams in the U.S. Open Cup this past season. That's 
you know, the it's kind of like the FA Cup in, in England where all the different divisions of U.S. soccer compete for one trophy. Um, it's, it's kind of an exhibition thing, but kind of not. There's no real allegory for it in American sports, but um, MLS teams play in it, USL championship teams like the Riverhounds play in it, and even third, fourth, fifth division teams play in it. The Riverhounds drew um, the New England Revolution. They beat them. They drew the Columbus Crew, who ended up winning the MLS Cup. They beat the Columbus Crew at Highmark Stadium and you know, a great moment for the franchise. Then they go on and lose to Cincinnati in um, what was a pretty close game the mo- most of the way. We get the announcement late last week that MLS is now withdrawing from the U.S. Open Cup, or at least it was trying to. It was trying to put its second, third uh, teams in instead of having the ones, you know, the Columbus crew show up. It, they were supposed to be development teams. Uh, I believe right before we started recording this podcast, the U- uh, U.S. Soccer Federation said, we're not going to do that, but we'll have to figure something else out. Paul, what do you th- did the Riverhounds break American soccer? Is that what happened here? Is this the most relevant they've ever been? <laughs> I, I think it's a, I think it's one of those stories that's fantastic, right? It is hilarious to me, um, and 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 it almost is a situation where the Riverhounds, you know, aren't supposed to win that game. You know, they're supposed to lose those games, and so that we can keep having this celebration of soccer, and you know, keep having these uh, competitions. As long as the right teams keep winning. Once the wrong teams start winning, uh, I think this is probably the natural evolution of something like that. So I guess the answer is yes. In some ways, the Riverhounds were too good in that. Um, and, and winning those games that they're not supposed to win because, well, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if, uh, if, if you beat the team that wins the national championship, right, you can basically claim, hey, we're actually the national champions, right? which we've seen in the past happen. But um, in this case, you could say, actually, we're the best team in MLS because we beat the champions. But, of course, MLS does not want this for their product. And they have a hard enough time gaining, you know, uh, uh, credibility and everything else. They don't want this for their product, for people uh, who are outside soccer and don't quite understand the sport, have cannon fodder for Ah, you're just a minor league. You know, your teams can't even beat these minor league teams. Yeah, and, and you know, I've had some conversations with p- people, Paul, that, that say the USL uh, fancies itself a competitor to MLS. Yes, it's definitely second division in terms of talent right now, um, but they have freer contracts. They bring in younger players, guys who still have a chance to play in, you know, in, in Europe, in, um, you know, other, other international, you know, competitions, whereas MLS is – contracts are very structured it's basically like once you're in mls you're almost stuck there right and and so i think you get some stale teams um and and usl fancies itself as a competitor and i think a decision like this only makes you know makes that seem like more of a reality where you seem to be afraid of the usl you're avoiding competition with them directly um and and i think it's going to feed a narrative that that maybe they can become a 1b league in in this in this you know soccer landscape and that you know, we always talk, is Pittsburgh ever going to get an MLS team? You know, uh, this is the type of thing that makes you wonder if they ever really want one because the USL seems to have some real heat behind it. Yeah. No, and it's been like that for a while. That's the other thing. I mean, I think, to be honest, the, the, the Riverhounds have a really good niche in this market. You know, and I think what they have done, and, and the thing about it is they've been very competitive over the course of time. They've had teams. You know, this isn't the first time they beat MLS teams. Uh, they've had teams uh, that have competed, you know, against those teams and done well in exhibitions and whatnot. 
Um, but yes, if you're MLS, you absolutely do not want to give credibility to 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 this league as in, in, in saying, hey, this league is comparable to us because uh, let's face it, in the American uh, sports scene, um, I, I would say soccer is still a fifth. And if you're trying to really get MLS to where you want it to go, uh, stuff like this doesn't happen. It doesn't really help. No, no, it doesn't. So I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. Paul, thanks for stopping by this week. Some good conversations, some diverse topics. And uh, I'll see you again Saturday afternoon. We'll be here after the Steelers-Bengals game. Regardless of the result, you and I will be uh, breaking that down on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. I'll be at the uh, AccraSource Stadium and uh, it'll probably be the last one this year at the stadium. Uh, I mean, barring a miracle of miracles, and I don't even know what it would take for them to get a home playoff game, but it, it'll probably uh, be the last one in stadium. Yeah, I think that's mathematically impossible that we'll we'll see a, a Steelers home game at this point. But um, yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the channel so you check out that show. Um, Christopher Carter will be back on the North Shore Drive on Friday. And if you enjoyed this video, please give us a like. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. We always appreciate it. It helps our growth. Um, with that said, we will talk to you all again soon. All right. We'll see you. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.